0: Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest podcast. This is our Q and A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says, so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Last week we had our first question that was given um, on uh, Reformed th- uh, on <laughs> on replacement theology, and one of the questions we had at the end of that was a question that we get regularly, which is a really good question. Which is if, if God forgets our sin, then how come we have to give an account? Or as they put it, how come we are judged? How can God how can God discipline us? if he has forgotten our sin. So I want to start by showing you a note that I have, and I made this note a while ago. Um, I use notes on our phone. Our phones can be really powerful for certain things in study. And I use notes on my phone when I'm going over a topic in maybe a Bible study or something that I'm just interested in. So I'm looking up different passages on it. I cut and paste into a note. And then they're searchable. And that's what makes them so powerful. And so this particular note is called Christians judged, which is what we call the title or at least the thumbnail of this particular Q&A. And I want to just go over the passages that I have in there because they go over the different passages on Christians being judged, us giving an account, God forgetting our sins, and what that all means compared to Scripture. I want to say this is a really good question and one that a lot of people have. So let me go ahead and show you. So this is the notes that I've got on this. And as I said, it just covers the idea of why, what does it mean that we as Christians are judged when God has forgot our sins? And I'm going to start with Hebrews ten, seventeen and eighteen. It says, um, then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more, nor will there nor where there is remission of these there is no longer an offering for sin. So what he's talking about is that When you are forgiven, then he remembers your sins no more. And by remembering them no more, meaning he's not going to judge you for your sins. But then we have in John 3.36 where it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So this tells us what Romans 5.9 and 1 Thessalonians 5.9 tell us, that we have been saved from the wrath that is to come. And the wrath of God does not abide on us when we commit our lives to Christ. Now, this is Hebrews 12, 5 and 8. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So, he's talking about God disciplining us. Now, how is God going to discipline us if he doesn't remember our sin? We are not judged in the sense that we will go to hell, that we will be damned forever. We'll see another passage that tells us that in a moment. But we have to give an account for things, and God disciplines us. So when he says, I will remember their sin no more, it's in the context of us being redeemed and forgiven of a sacrifice. It's really in the context of Jesus becoming our sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, when there was a covering of sin, God remembered their sin no more. God doesn't bring it to mind. It doesn't mean that God can't recall the fact that I sinned. Or that one day I might not have to answer to God why I allowed a certain sin into my life. Because God's going to discipline me. And this is a good reminder for us. That just because you think, all right, I prayed for it and God's forgiven me, doesn't mean God's not going to discipline you. And for me, the discipline of God is more of God trying to correct your heart. So that if you've settled into a certain sin, that you've gone, this is a sin that I'm going to go ahead and do as a Christian that God disciplines you like we would discipline our children with that same kind of heart. Now let's go to the next scripture here that I have, and this is Romans 14, 11 through 13. It says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. We each must give an account to God. There is a point where we will have to talk to God about what we're doing and that's why we don't want to judge people because the way we judge is the way we're going to be judged. It doesn't mean that there is condemnation along with it. It means we must give an account for the things that we're doing. That's why it pays. That's why it's important for us to have things right with God and right with people around us. For us to be mercy, because the mercy we give is the mercy that we are going to receive. The next passage is 1 Corinthians 5.10. For we we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what has been done, whether good or bad. Now, we believe that our sins have been forgiven and that we are going to receive rewards in heaven, but we will still appear before the judgment seat of Christ and Christ has taken our place there, so we stand before him. Now, Matthew twelve thirty six and 37, Jesus says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, you will give an account in the day of judgment for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." That's why we've got to be careful with every word that we say. Now, Romans 8.1, now when you read that, for every by every word you will be condemned, of course the forgiveness of God covers that because it says in Romans 8.1, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians 3.13-15, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it is being revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work, of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has is built on on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, as yet through fire. Now, let's just take a look at one more here, and um, then we'll go ahead and we'll sum these things up. Romans 2, 6-9 says, Who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who patiently, continually, in doing good, seek the glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, anguish on every soul and man who does evil, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, when we take all of these passages and we sum them up, when we look at what's being said, where are we at here? Okay. Um, We take all these passages and we sum them up and we look at what's being said. When we give our lives to Christ and when Jesus becomes our sacrifice, then our sins are forgiven and God remembers them no more. Meaning we have eternity and God is not going to interact with us based on our sin and that God interacts with us that we are the breastplate of righteousness, that we are right before him. However, if we do sin, then God disciplines us like children. In the context of the sacrifice of Jesus and our eternity, our sins have been forgotten. And then we must give an account. There's a Bema Seat reward, we call it. That's where we, what we do for Christ, we will be rewarded for. And a time that we will give an account for the things that are said. Doesn't mean that they're not forgiven and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it does mean that we should be, be fearful in the things that we're saying. Sometimes we treat people rudely, sometimes we say things that are mean, sometimes we're just trying to manipulate, we're trying to get our way, we're trying to whatever it is that we're doing and we forget that we have a God that we have to answer to. It's not like we can do anything we wanna do down here and we'll not have to give an account. The Bible says of pastors, they must give an account to people who are put under their care. So yeah, this is a really good question. That helps us to understand that just because our sins have been forgiven and God remembers them no more in the context of judgment doesn't mean that God's not going to discipline his children. Doesn't mean that we aren't going to have to give an account. Doesn't mean that our rewards won't be tested and some will be saved as through fire. They're just going to barely make it in. And so what kind of men and women ought we to be then? We ought to be living our lives to please Christ. Right with God. And right with the people around us, we want to be merciful to those, so we can receive mercy. We want to put arrogance and pride away, and on top of that, um, we want to put. Um, a lot of times, we treat people poorly because we are not because we are insecure. We're insecure about our position. We're insecure about ourselves. And so we treat people around us poorly. We wanna treat people around us correctly. We wanna walk in humility and meekness so that when we can stand before God, we can say, Lord, I've I've tried to live for you the, the best way that I can and really and genuinely mean it. We will all stand before him, and we must give an account. And um, those are some pretty powerful things. So, let's go ahead and take a look at the questions that we've gotten today. It's good to see you guys here. Good to have you joining us. If you are here for the very first time, really glad that you're here. We take questions, anything to do with the Christian life, with the Bible, with apologetics, questions that you may have about people you're interacting with, how to answer them, and Go ahead and write a question mark or a question in front of it. Reread it a couple of times. Make sure it makes sense. You got to say what you want it to say. And then uh, add a reference, if you have a reference, that we can look it up. Okay? So, thank you. Um, appreciate it. Um, Andre Miller says, Do we believers choose Christ or does Christ choose us? Yeah, that's a great question, right? And it's a question, again, that a, uh, a lot of people have because of this passage, John 15, 16. Let's take a look at that. John 15 16 uh, let's go back a little bit in this we'll read it um, in its context how big of a context do we have um, I'm gonna go away I'm gonna go back to verse 9 so it's a, a little bit larger but I think it will help us all right thank you Andre I appreciate it so starting in verse 9 it says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in me, my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and he abides in and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than he lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Did I get to the right place? Um, for all things that I have learned from my father, yeah, 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 um, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, I have chosen you to appoint you to go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So, Andre, as I said, really good question, and one that people will often ask. That yes, uh, we do choose God and God does choose us. Now when Jesus says you didn't choose me and I chose you, here in this passage he says you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go out and bear fruit. The Bible says choose you this day whom you will serve. The idea that God chose people before the foundations of the world uh, I, I, I know that Reformed, and Calvinists don't like the word random, unilaterally, maybe, I don't know what your word they would use. Before the foundations of the world, um, and chose some to be chosen and some to be lost, is not found in the Bible. It is read into passages. And so when Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples here, he says, You didn't choose me, I chose you. He went out and said, Follow me, follow me. So it was initiated by God. I think it's it's John six forty four that says no one comes to the Son unless the Father first draws them. So it's God who is always initiating salvation. He's the one drawing us. He's the one working on our hearts. And no one can come unless God has done that work. And then we respond. He's the initiator of salvation, and we are the responders in salvation. But we still have to choose. God chooses us. God calls us, and then we choose Him. Now, He is saying this to people who chose Him, who, who chose Him back. He chose them. They responded to His choosing. Now, are there people that are drawn to God or people that are chosen by God that don't respond to him? That's the question. And since the Bible teaches us a free will that whoever would believe and come to him, that means you have a decision to make to come to Christ. It it certainly doesn't mean, look, I'm either saved or lost. And God either chooses me or he doesn't. So, I guess I'll just go along my way. Which allows people to be able to say, well, I haven't been chosen by God. God's chosen me, and I've heard this from people. I've heard people say, God made me like I am. God didn't choose me, and so I'm not going to follow him. No, you have to make a decision to follow him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him. And a myriad of other verses like that. So we have to believe. But it doesn't mean that he didn't choose us. And it doesn't mean that as apostles, and that's the way a lot of people deal with this passage. I'm not sure that it's the right way to deal with it, Andre. Is they look at this passage and they go, well, this is to the 12 apostles. And he's saying, you didn't choose me to be my apostle, but I chose you to be my apostle. And that that's the context of what's there. That there's no broader context talking about the average Christian choosing or not choosing. I'm not sure that's the right way to approach this text. But I know whatever Jesus is saying here, it doesn't take away free will. Because the Bible tells us, whoever believes in him has been predestined. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, to the faithful, they have been predestined by God. So God knowing who was going to believe because God has foreknowledge. He's not looking down the tunnel of time as people mock it. And even if God was looking down the tunnel of time and, and and seeing who got saved or not and then predestining their lives, how would that be a bad thing? It's, it, it's, a, it's a good way for um, Matt Chandler to mock the idea of having free will and people laugh at it. But the reality is is that God sees things differently and God knows that you would choose him and follow him. And so God has predestined your life because you chose him and followed him. Romans chapter 9, Ephesians chapter 1, other passages that talk about predestination talk about the faithful. And at the end of Romans chapter 9, those who are not elect are the ones who did not choose and follow by faith. And those who are elect are the ones who followed by faith. And so what he's saying is, who are you to say to God, why did you make me this way? So if God chose not to have Israel get saved because they're Jewish, but God chose those by faith to be saved, who are you to say, why did God make it this way? Or why did God make me this way? You have to believe in order to be saved. Um, So there's a couple of thoughts on that passage. Um, Pastor Chuck used to talk about a door where it said, um, choose me, and you would walk through it and close the door on the back side. It would say, you have not chosen me, I've chosen you. And he would talk about a mystery with the chosen, um, with, with how that all works. I'm not quite sure that's exactly what happens. I think it's more like a marriage. Uh, both people choose to be saved, but God's the one who's doing the drawing, and so he chose us and we responded to him. And I think that's the point Jesus is making here in John 15, 16. We chose him and he is, and we uh, he chose us and we are responding to him with our free will. Now he can choose and us not respond to him and that's where the argument's gonna come in over whether or not, you know, uh, the idea of Calvinism or once saved, or Calvinism or reformed theology is true or not, all right? Thank you, Andre. I appreciate it. It's a good question. So, um, Keith has a question from Jari. Um, Jari must not be able to log in. Um, When hearing the Holy Spirit's still small voice, is it true that it will oftentimes sound like your own voice and you have to discern it's just you or the Holy Spirit? So, Jari, I'm going to say, first of all, No. Uh, That's pretty clear, isn't it? First of all, no. Um, We go to the Word of God to find out what God wants from us. And we know that Elijah heard God speak to him in a still, small voice, that God wasn't in the earthquake and God wasn't in the windstorm, but he spoke to him with a still, small voice. And I do believe that God does communicate to us and without being verbal, and communicates to our hearts. But we have a we have difficulty discerning, is it me, is it God, or is it the enemy? Is he shooting fiery darts into my mind? Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ, and Jesus said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't show this to you. My Father in heaven revealed this to you. So he heard God. God had revealed something. However he had revealed it to Peter, it had been revealed to him. And then... A little bit later on, Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. Peter takes him aside, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So, Peter didn't know when it was God and when it was Satan. And this is why we don't put personal revelation anywhere near what the Word of God says. The Word of God is always the highest call. And when people start using, well, God told me, uh, and I felt like God said Uh, you know, whatever it is. And when they start using that, like it's reading the Bible, that's a problem. Because we don't know when it's us or when it's God or when it's the enemy. So I'm not saying that you can't hear from God or God might not speak to you. I think most of the time, Jari, it's going to be about your own personal walk with Christ. The things that you need to do in your life. God's going to speak to you. God's going to give you um, that thought, that desire, that heart as you're praying and interacting with him. But as far as looking for a still small voice, um, I think that that's been abused greatly. Because we don't know who it is and there's nothing in the Bible that tells us. The only thing we can do is go, does the Bible tell us that? The Bible tells me how I'm supposed to live as I am as I am interacting with this world. And I think that um, yeah, I think it's impossible to discern between them. You you, you don't know. And that's why Peter had such a problem. I think that we have that kind of a problem as well. All right. Thank you, Jari, for your question. I appreciate that. Uh, we have a question from Matt Crossman. Is it? Yep. Okay. Matt says, um, last Q&A, you said people from the lineage of Isaac were considered Israel, um, referring to all of Israel will be saved during the tribulation, but in Genesis 12, 1 through three, it says through Abraham would the father of all was the father of all nations. So we all believe being descendants of Isaac. Yeah. Um, so it does go back to Abraham, right? But Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had the twelve tribes. So I was going back to the closest one that they were all a part of from us. So I went to Isaac, but Isaac and Abraham, right? Because um, I guess I yeah I know you um, you know what you are absolutely correct because Isaac had um, I'll go back on that because Isaac had Jacob and Esau, and all of Esau is not going to be saved. You you um, so you go back to Abraham, then you got to go through Isaac through. And then you have to go through Jacob, and then you got to go through the 12 tribes. So, you've got to go through each one of them. So, yes, I would come back to Abraham. But, Abraham is going to bless, all nations going to be blessed through the Messiah, but that's not who Israel is. You have to go back, actually, the other way. Not Isaac, but Jacob and his 12 sons. So, Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, and his 12 sons, because um, Isaac's brother Esau... Is not saved. So he certainly was misspeaking when I said that. We would go back to Jacob, is really what we should say. Um, When we're talking about all of Israel being saved, it is all of the descendants of Jacob that are following him that are gonna be protected during the tribulation period, caught up with the wings and taken into the wilderness. Now we're not talking about the church and we're not talking about the way in Romans where it says that all who believe in him are real Israel. So there's a way that we are all ruled by God. I think it's a play on words to some degree that we're all ruled by God. But we're talking about those who are genetically part of the nation of Israel, which God chose and gave promises to. Um, but yeah, very astute, Matt. <clears throat> I just think we got to go the other way. Um, he, um, Abraham, I don't know that he's the father of all nations. It is through Abraham that all nations will be blessed. And there are other nations that are in the world that are outside of Abraham. We have to go the other way to Jacob. So, I was wrong in saying Isaac, and we have to go the other way to go to Jacob. All right, if you have more questions about that, Matt, then please give us a follow-through, a follow-up on that, would you? All right, Uh, appreciate that. So, um, let's see. Kimberly has a follow-up. Kimberly says, follow up, I can't fathom standing before God giving an account for all my sins. And words, how do you account for sin before God? I'm hiding behind Jesus. Yeah, I'm hiding behind Jesus too. I I am. And, um, you know, I mean, when you look at those passages, Kimberly, they're they're telling us that we have to give an account. Pastors have to given an account for those who are caring, caring for them. Um, Jesus said we are judged by our words. And so, there are. There, I'm hiding behind Jesus as well. And I'm probably going to be really embarrassed with certain things that I have to give an account for. And maybe even just speechless on all of that. Um, but you can't hide from um, Romans, what is it, Romans 14, let me get there here, Romans 14, 13. Okay, so, I mean, this is written by Paul to Christians. Let me go ahead and put this up for you again, and we'll take a look at it here. Um, it says in Romans 14, 11 through 13, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess, so then, each one shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us judge one another, not let's not in the judge one another anymore. So each one, now he's, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to all of us are going to give an account before God. Therefore, let us not judge anymore, but rather resolve this, not putting a stumbling block or a cause to fall in a brother's way. So we are going to give an account before him. And let's just, let's think about that for a moment. Let's, let's even take that a, a little bit farther. And let's think about that. If I realize as a Christian that I have to give an account of myself as a believer before God, then I'm going to treat people around me well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe and walk. I'm going to be righteous with God and righteous with the people around me. Now, if I think my sins are completely, are my, that I'm never going to give an account. My sins are completely forgiven. Um, I might be saved as it is through fire because my works might all be selfish. But if I don't think I have to give an account before God, that everything I do will be covered by the blood of the Lamb, then as a Christian, I may be the rudest person out there. I might just be walking around going, you know what, doesn't matter. I'm going to be however I want to be. <clears throat> I'm not going to have to give an account to God for what I'm doing. I want to be able to honestly stand before God and say, I wanted to treat people around me fairly. I wanted to be fair to them. And when something is brought up when I wasn't fair to an individual, then I want to be able to say, Yeah, I got in my flesh, and I'm sorry for that. But knowing that I have to give an account, I want to treat people right. I want to be able to say I treated them right. I don't want to treat people wrongly and then say, well, I'm going to hide behind Jesus on the day that I have to give an account. We can't get by the passages that tell us that we're going to be judged by the words that we say, and that we're going to have to give an account before God. You can't look at the Bible and say that this passage is here. If you're going to do that, you have to say, this is why that doesn't, that this is why that passage doesn't matter. This is why that passage isn't saying what you think it says. When it says that we're all going to have to give an account, in Romans 14, he was talking to non-believers, and this is why. But it's obvious in the context he's talking to believers that have to give an account. So, you've got to do something with it. You, you can't just go, well, the Bible says this, but I don't believe that. I, we're all going to hide behind Jesus. And hopefully we can say, I wanted to follow the, 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 the scriptures. I wanted to love God and love my neighbor. Jesus says these are the two greatest commands. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And if I do that, then I'll be able to stand before him and say, Lord, I tried to do those things. And um, if there's if there's something I'm missing with it, I'm I'm open to looking to to what I'm missing, but uh, this is um, it's just it's it's one of those areas. How how can we give an account? We've been forgiven for our sins, so why do we have to give an account? That's just one of those areas, and we have to look at the passages um, that there are. All right. So thank you, Kimberly. I appreciate that. I'm hiding behind Jesus as well. All right. Uh, and if you are visiting here with us for the first time, really good to have you guys here. Hope that you are having a great day. Hope you're blessed in your walk with Christ. And may we truly love Him and, um, and love others. If you have a question, you can write the word question down. Um, you can uh, then write out your question, reread it, put any references to it. We can stop and we can look them up. So we have a follow-up from Matt Oh, Matt was talking about when I said last week the descendants of Isaac when I should have said the descendants of Jacob. Follow-up question, is it possible? You and I are descendants of Jacob, but we already accepted Jesus, so don't need saving during the tribulation. Huh. That's, a, that's an interesting thought and question. Well, let's think about this. Let's think about this if I knew I was Jewish, like I have a, Joe Rosenberg's a friend of mine, he's Jewish. Um, I have um, Steve Schmitt is a friend of mine. He's an actor on the the show, the movie, uh, the show The Chosen. Uh, He was also a a pastor here in town of both a Christian church that met on Sunday and a Messianic church that met on Saturday. And he's, he's Jewish. So could he say, well, is it possible that I'm saved? And I don't have to be a Christian? Well, what if the tribulation period doesn't come in his lifetime? Then what's going to happen to him? And what if he dies before the tribulation period starts? If he is someone who is Jewish, who is alive during the tribulation period, and I imagine each one of them have to show some kind of faith in God. It never says that they don't have to. That just, you're Jewish, so you're saved. They have to show some faith in God. So, is it possible that someone who is Jewish doesn't believe at that time? Now, I know it says in Romans 11, 25 that all of Israel will be saved. Um, But it's argued that all doesn't always mean all. but can never mean a few, but it's gotta mean the vast majority of them. So, yeah, I think, is it possible that we're descendants of Jacob, but we accepted Jesus and don't need to? I don't think so. I think that we need, they're going to need to show faith. Um, there's no one saved. There's no other name given under heaven whereby you can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. And and those who are, are Jews in those days are going to be shown the deception, the lie that they believed, that their minds were darkened, and so they are going to be protected during that time. And I would say we, we would need saving anyway. And we don't even know whether the tribulation period is going to happen during our lifetime. All right? So thank you very much, Andre, for the or, uh, Matt for the follow up on that. Um, we have, let's see, we have a follow up from Kimberly. Kimberly says, um, "But Pastor, we have to give an account when the Holy Spirit convicts us and we repent. That's bad enough. Well." Um, yeah, I understand. I understand what you're saying. So the Holy Spirit convicts us, and then we need to make our corrections. And hey, when we're standing before Him or we're giving an account, maybe that account, Kimberly, is um, I realized that that was wrong, and I changed the way I was treating them. Maybe that's the account. You repented, and you made things right. Having to give an account doesn't mean that God's gonna get up there and judge everything that we've done because we've been, it's under the blood and we've been forgiven. It means that we have to give an account for why we treated people the way that we treated them. And the real cure for that are how to give a good account. That might be be a good good, good title for a video. How to, to be able to give a good account before God. And that's, right now, treating people the way that they need to be treated. They should be treated. Loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving my neighbor as myself. And then when I'm standing before God and I mistreated someone, I say, yeah, Lord, I I realized that that was wrong and I repented from that. I wonder if God is even going to make us give an account for things we repented from, Kimberly. When it says that we must give an account to God, it doesn't tell us what the things that we are going to have to give Him an account for. It may be unconfessed, unrepented sin. It may be some things that I have ignored based on the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be saved as it were through fire. Maybe because I'm treating people wrongly, or I'm a Christian that says, "You know what? I'll just I'm going to speak my mind no matter what," and we just don't care about other people. We're not giving mercy, so we're going to have to give an account for those things. But it seems to me. That if I've lived my entire Christian life up to this point and I've treated people one way, then the Holy Spirit's convicted me. And I stand before God and have to give an account that God's not going to bring up the things that I've truly repented from. It's 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 the things that I haven't repented from. It's the things that I haven't dealt with that I that I have to give an account for. Again, it may be tough, but I think. That, he, that it doesn't say what kind of things we're going to have to give an account for. And I would think it would be things for we haven't repented for. The way that we've treated people, the way that we've interacted with people. All right, thank you for your follow-up. I think that that adds a lot of clarity to this issue. And if you have more, Kimberly, that you're struggling with, please ask them because I think that we can add more clarity. And um, that's one of the reasons that I love this platform of us asking questions and then being able to ask follow-ups because we can get clarity on it. All right, Um, so we have a question from Matthew Wilson. Matthew says, um, hello, Pastor Robert, a question about being judged or will or we will be judged. As you know, it's Pride Month and I hate some um, tense conversations and I've had, yeah, I hate some tense conversations over the fact I love the person but disapprove. Yeah, Matt, that's... um, that that is difficult for us. And I'm going to tell you why it may even be more difficult for us during Pride Month is because you see these displays of outrageous behavior taking it to the nth degree. And we see it and it would be like it would be like, for us as Christians, knowing that the Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman, the two come together and become one flesh, and God created them male and female, and that a man is not supposed to love a man or or, or lie with a man the way that a man lies with a woman. The Bible is just very clear. It's just very direct as to the act that is the problem. And so we believe it's sin. And then we see people celebrating sin And that hits us. It would be like someone celebrating killing some murderer or celebrating um, just some sin that we find. We're seeing that in front of us. And uh, it's not going to get any easier. And what I'm reminded of, Matthew, when I see this is that we we live as citizens of heaven. We are not citizens of this world. The world is not our home. Now, we want it to be. And I think that a lot of times Christians do. And we want to go out and make changes for Christ. And, but the world is not our home. And the, the, both Daniel and Revelation end with the filthy are going to remain filthy. The righteous will be righty, righteous. Or the filthy will become more filthy. And the righteous will become more righteous. So the world's going to get worse and worse as we can expect it to. It says in the last days men are going to be like this. And so we're just going to see it more and more. Does it doesn't mean that our righteous hearts aren't vexed day and night. And I, I'm trying to think exactly what that passage says. Maybe, maybe Keith, you could look up that passage uh, that talks about our righteous uh, Lot's righteous heart being vexed day and night. I think it says by what he saw around him. And then go ahead and give me that reference. I'll look it up here. But it doesn't mean that our hearts are not going to be vexed by what we see. And people we care about and love who get involved in these, these lifestyles that are ungodly. And I, I don't know that there's anyone, Matthew, that is going to be, that is going to be uns- go, go unscathed. That there's someone that we don't know, love, and care about who isn't sucked into the things of this world. I mean, ultimately, it is that they, they enter into heaven. That's our ultimate desire, that they would make it into heaven. But we live in a world that more and more is sub- celebrating sin. But that's the kind of world the Bible says that it would be during the last days, and I think that that is the case. That during these last days we see it happening, and when we see someone celebrating sin, it is going to vex us like it did with um, like it did with uh, with Lot. All right. So we'll we'll see if we can't look up that passage. You get that passage here, and then take a look at it. Um, So uh, Hunter says, when are you coming back to Sierra Vista? Um, Hopefully uh, pretty soon. Uh, I like to get down there every so often and have Pat come up here and teach. Um, Pat's a really good friend of mine. Sierra Vista's a city, it's a great city. Um, That's about, yeah, it's about an hour and 15 minutes from my house. It's about a little less than an hour probably from Tucson. It's a little cooler because it's a little higher. It's a military town. Uh, The Calvary Chapel there is great. Uh, Pat Lazovich is the pastor there. And, um, Hunter, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you asking when I'm going to come back. Um, probably haven't been there for, maybe I was there six months ago or so. But um, I do want to get back there here pretty soon. And um, I appreciate you guys. And uh, really love that church, by the way. I re- really really do. And love Pat. All right? So, um, let's see. But uh disapprove of the lifestyle. All right, so Matthew kind of has a follow-up on what he was talking about. And that is, um, question, but disapprove the lifestyle, but it's not settled down in the tensity of the topic. But I honestly don't care because I'm not afraid of being the bad guy thoughts. Yes, I do. Um, I don't think we should be the bad guy. I don't think that we should, that we should let it be tense over the topic. I like what Greg Kokel says in his book Tactics that when you're interacting with someone and anybody gets mad, then you've lost. And so if you are interacting with someone who is a homosexual and they're proud of it and you're giving them the truth but you don't mind being the bad guy, then are you really living in such a way that that person will be able to hear it and and, and, and believe? Do you care about their salvation? Or are you just so appalled at their celebration of sin that you're like, I don't mind being the bad guy. I think the first thing we ought to care about with anybody is their salvation. And any way that I interact with anyone, I want it to be in love. I want it to be kind. Where Where does it ever say that we are to be the bad guy or not care about what people think. It it says the opposite. It says the servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach those that are in opposition. It says if anyone has sinned, you who are spiritual, go to them in a spirit of gentleness. And our desire, well, we're ambassadors of Christ. God is not far from any of us, Paul said in Acts 17. And we are ambassadors and it's as if, as if people are groping to find God. And we as ambassadors imploring people to be made right with God. And so if I burn bridges as a Christian and maybe even for all Christians with someone, I'm now getting in the way of them being able to make a commitment to Christ. I want them to know that God loves them and God does love them. God demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And we don't know who is open to receiving him and who's not open to receiving him. So, yeah, I never want to be rude, um, the so-called bad guy. If I'm in a conversation with someone, I'm looking for how I can tell the truth in a way that is direct, but in a way that shows that I care for them, that God cares for them. um, And so yeah, I, I think that that's our hardest Christians. I don't think that we just you know, r- run around confronting these issues of our day and that, that we put away aside the whole notion that we are witnesses, that we are the light of the world, that we are the salt of the earth. And some people are going to get upset at what we say, for sure. But let them get upset at what we're saying and not the way we're saying it. And Let's look for opportunities to be able to share our faith um, when we can. All right? And I know that you want to do that, Matthew. I do. So, um, we have another question by Henry. Henry says, question. So, when we give an account before God as saved Christians through Christ, will we be punished in heaven as God would chasten a child or in the account given before God for rewards? Right. And I, yes, that's a, that's a great question, um, Henry, thank you. Um, no, we are not going to be punished. We, there are rewards that we will not receive. And I think that everybody's going to have that because they're going to be tried by fire. And some are going to be saved as if through fire. Everything of their rewards are going to be burned up. And perhaps that's the giving of the account is the Bema seat of Christ, where we are facing our rewards and we must give an account. And all of a sudden we're looking and the things that we thought we did for Christ we really did for ourselves or maybe we didn't treat people the way we were supposed to and, and we thought it was right or we just didn't care and all things are burned up and we're saved as if through fire. But no, there is no punishment. Um, any, any discipline that God has will be for us now. When we get into heaven and we are judged, you know, when we get to that place of the bema seat judgment, we'll be in immortal bodies. We'll be incorruptible. Our response is going to be the right response all the way around. Um, and I think I don't think you can, can disconnect the giving an account to the rewards that we have to that we're going to that our, our rewards are, our rewards are going to be judged for. All right. So thank you very much, Henry. I appreciate that. And uh, let's see. If you're uh, here with us for the first time, really glad you're here. If you have a question, I was looking for Keith to see if Keith had given me that reference that I wanted to uh, to look at with righteous uh, lots righteous heart being vexed. <clears throat> All right, I don't see it yet. Maybe he already gave it. Um, Yeah, and so I'll just bring um, the whole truth. The whole truth says here, which I think is right. The um, I think Scripture is pretty clear. We are saved, um, and we give an account. But it's a reward thing, and not uh, and and at that point, not a punishment, heaven hell thing. Yeah, and I would agree wholeheartedly. Uh, the whole truth with you there. All right. So uh, if you have a question, you can write the word question down. Um, um, And then, as I said, write out your question, reread it a couple times, add any references, because we can look them up. So, we have a follow-up from Matthew. Matthew says, follow up, Pastor. If someone approached you and admired that they're a homosexual, but wants to get out of it, how do you even answer that? All right, so let me just see if I get your question right here, okay? If someone approached you and admire, um, admired that they're a homosexual, but wants to get out of it. How do you even answer that? I think if I'm reading your question right, Matthew, I think they're confused. They're, they're probably feeling the conviction of the Spirit and still the the pride of their flesh. And, and what they've been involved in. And our, our culture does applaud and uplift those who are in it. But I would come to the place where you have to repent and turn from it in order to be saved. And I, I think that is a, a probably a much easier conversation to have, Matthew, than someone who doesn't see it at all If they if they want to get out. I, I think that the first thing that you start to talk to them about is that they see things the way God sees things. That's part of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we see. And they're probably still looking at things in the way of, of that the world sees things. All right? So, um, again, if you have another follow-up on it, I'd, I'd appreciate taking that. If somehow I read that wrong, um, but they're, they, you know, the Holy Spirit may be working. They may be on their way to repentance if they want to change but still are walking in the pride of that it would be like someone who says i really want to change i'm you know I'm just, i've been i've been ripping people off and i really want to change um, but you know i kind of like how that i'm a really good you know i'm a really good con man i really take people for their money um, it's like they they need to come to a place where they repent and turn from that also if i had somebody who ad- admired the fact that they were same-sex attracted, and they wanted to get out of it, I'd pray for them to receive. I want to see if they want to receive Jesus now, give their lives to the Lord, because God can change them. God can transform them. Now, you you know, knowing that you're going to repent, that you're going to turn, you're going to now live for Christ. You don't say, you don't worry about it now, worry about it later. You say, come to Christ, give him this. You may still be struggling with the your fe- way you're feeling about this now, but you know as a Christian you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you're going to be a follower, you're going to be doing the things that He wants you to do, and you invite Him and and live for Him in your life. So maybe, maybe that would be helpful. All right? Um, so we have a, quick question, a question from Kimberly Fox. Kimberly says, When we're given an account, what is God's reaction to... Uh, as some burn up, does God give at a boy or correction? Will we feel joy or be aware of how little we've done compared to others? Thanks, Kimberly. I appreciate your question. Um, I think some of this is is not able to be answered. Well, maybe it is. Okay, so let's just let's just break it down. Um, what is God's reaction? to us as as things are burned up. So that's hard for us to, to get God's reaction. God is looking through us, at us through Christ. And I hope that there's not God going, oh, I'm really disappointed in you, you know. I mean, for some degree, we'd just be glad to be in heaven. We want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. So we want that to be God's reaction. And I think maybe that's why God lets us know that we have to give an account. So that we can live our lives in such a way that God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That we're just not like, oh, my sins are forgiven. I'm down here living in my life how I want to. But we want to see here good and faithful servant. Does God say attaboy? Well, he says good and faithful servant, right? Or correction? I don't think correction. Um, will we feel joy or being aware of how little we've done or compared to others? I don't think so. I think at this point, we're going to be in our... This mortal is going to put on immortality. This corruption is going to put on incorruptible. We no longer have a sin nature. And so, how you've walked with Christ and how I've walked with Christ and that you did more than me is not going to be something that enters into my mind. I think at this point, I am standing before my God and I'm giving an account for my life. And I'm hoping that I do hear well done, good and faithful servant, um, which I think is a parable where Jesus gives. Um, and that that's what we want to hear. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I don't think that we'll be thinking. Yeah, um, let's see. Question. Oh, okay. So I don't. I don't. I don't know that we'll be thinking about other people. All right, Kimberly, you can ask a follow up if you got that. Um, Matthew, I'm not sure what. Um, as you have this question, um, admitted you meant. I'm not sure what. I'm not sure what I would have said that admitted meant. So I'm I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure of the context of what I said that maybe I meant admitted. I might have, but I don't know. Okay, thanks. Kimberly says thanks for for going deeper. I feel better. Thanks for asking those follow-up questions. It helps for us to have clarity. And I tell you what, it really helps me as a pastor too to know that when I'm giving, when I'm giving something, I've got to be thinking all of those things through. And um and I and it's one of the reasons again that I love um yeah, that I that I love this uh format. So Matthew says, My fingers are large, meaning just to get fat fingers on a on a keyboard. Um, so did you mean they admit that they're homosexual and then they wanna get out of it, where do you go with that? Instead of admire? And if that's the case, that's even better, right? Um Or that they, yeah, I might need to go back and look at that passage. I mean, I'm going to go back and look at that question again. Um, So, Kimberly says, how do our rewards? This is a great question. This is one that I'm going to tell you now, Kimberly, I don't have a question. I don't have an answer for. Um, And we could go back to, I've done some studies on the rewards. I've gotten passages on rewards and talked about what does it look like for somebody that has a whole lot of rewards and they're living in eternity compared to somebody that just makes it through us through fire. And searching the scriptures, I haven't been able to find out, to figure out what the rewards are. I see the 24 elders casting their crowns before God and maybe our reward is being able to cast something before God as as we worship Him. But Seems to me like being in heaven, we won't need rewards. Um, is it a position thing? I I don't know. I can't imagine it would be being closer to God and further away because in heaven all tears are wiped away. Um, I This is one I honestly have to say is in a shelf I have in my head for further information. I don't know what it looks like in heaven for someone who has a bunch of rewards and then for someone who doesn't. And I have tried to figure this out. It's something that I've looked into and I really have not been able uh, to figure out what that looks like. Um, Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's a passage someone has. And when we talk about as we talk about this here too, and this is something we could continue to talk about in our next Q&A because we're just about out of time. Um, But as we talk about it, we could talk about what we think. But what really carries weight is what the scriptures say. So we want to find out what the Bible has to say about these rewards and how we're going to live with these rewards. And I haven't been able to find anything. It's just one of those areas in Scripture that I've had to say, I I don't know. Um, I'm I'm waiting to maybe find out a little bit more information on it. They need to mean something, right? The rewards need to mean something. And maybe it is just to give back to God. Um there are also crowns that we receive. There's five crowns talked about in the Bible. Are they really crowns? Are they are they not crowns? All right. So um, we have, um, okay, Scripture reference is 2 Peter. So I do want to come back and I do want to talk about um, living in the world that we're living in and specifically being Pride Month and how we look around us at the world and feel about things. So Keith found this reference for me, 2 Peter 2. For, so, all right, I'm going to go ahead and put this up on the screen for you, and we'll, we'll read it through together. Uh, it says, um, For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness. The word for hell there is Tartarus, by the way, which is a word for pit. Um, but delivered him in chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, and bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterwards live ungodly and delivered the righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for the righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing the lawless deeds. So, I think we are more and more like that. I, I can take Pride Month from a few years ago when it just started and what it's like today and think that we are a lot like Lot. Like we are tormented our righteous souls day to day by seeing and hearing the lawless deeds. And the more ungodly this world gets, the more we're going to realize that we are not a part of this world. Thank you, Keith, for looking that up for me. Um, That we are not a part of this world and neither are we supposed to be. That we are just passing through. And um, Lot could have saved himself a lot of trouble by choosing to live somewhere else. But he chose the well-watered plains of... um, that, that Sodom and Gomorrah were at. And, um, hey, we live in the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. But there are certain places that we could choose to be that would cause us to be more vexed than other places. And I think that's the case with him as well. Um, great. Thanks, um, Matthew. I appreciate that, um, clarifying that. Let's see, we've got um, just a couple of minutes, so I'm going to take uh, Scrooge's wife as the last question here. I'll look for the questions that we've got here for the next question in our q and I appreciate you guys. Again, I appreciate us working out um, some things and what the Bible says so that we can get clarity on what it says, all right? So, um, salvation is given by grace. This is a question by Scrooge's wife. How's Scrooge, by the way? I said that last time, didn't I? Um, salvation is given by grace and righteousness, by faith. So, does salvation come... Before faith, or does faith lead us to salvation? All right, good. Let me think of this, um, look at this passage here. um, Why you're looking at that. I mean, why we're we're thinking of that. So, um, I'm going to go to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And let me put this up, we'll come back to your question. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So it's the grace of God. And the very first thing that's brought up in this passage about salvation is grace. So God gives grace and the grace is available for everyone. And then through faith it is grace that we are saved through faith. So we put our trust in God. And now through faith is not of yourself. God's the one who chose salvation. Jesus is the one who came for it. I can't jump high enough to be saved. It's got to be, it's God all the way. I'm just trusting in what he did. Right? which is what faith is. Faith is trusting in God. I'm just trusting in what he did. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's me believing it is not a work, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared uh, beforehand uh, that we should walk in them. All right, so that becomes fairly clear. Now let's go back and look at your question. Salvation is given by grace, right? And righteousness by faith, so grace comes first, and then faith. So does salvation come before faith? No. Well, well, maybe so. I, I think about it, Scrooge's wife. So salvation is available before faith. Jesus died on the cross for us. How long ago? So salvation is there for us today. And then, or is it faith that leads us to salvation? And I think, gosh, I think I'm going to say yes to both of these. I'm going to say, um, does salvation come before faith? Yes. He died on on the cross before we had that opportunity. Now, I guess the faith of Abraham, but it was accredited to him. So even in the Old Testament, they had accredited to them righteousness by what Jesus did. It was accredited by the work of the cross. So salvation comes before faith. Then faith leads us to salvation. Faith, um, faith, it is faith that leads us to salvation. So yeah, I mean, I'm just going to use, I'm just using your terms here. Faith, we put trust in him and we believe in him. And that leads us to salvation. We have now received, is how I would say it, we've received the salvation that was available for us by faith. Let me just give you one other passage here to look at that I think is very, very helpful in understanding this. And um, this is Romans chapter 9. I'm going to go all the way down to verse 31. And let me read this to you here. It says, um, let's see. But Israel pursuing the Law of Righteousness, has not attained the Law of Righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. So, the nation of Israel was trying to live by the Law, and they didn't find faith, and so God didn't choose them. But as it were, the works of the Law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, which is Christ, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And that's how God chooses salvation. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So we believe and we receive the work of Christ for each one of us, not by any work. So it's just another passage that helps us to understand that. All right, so thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate our time together. Um, Love you. Hope that you stay close to Jesus. um, Walk in the Spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Delight in the Lord. And He'll give you the desires of your heart. Live your life in such a way knowing that you'll give an account to God. So let's make things right now. Knowing that we can stand before Him and and, and say, "At, At that point, Lord, I realized I was giving an account to you. And I wanted to be able to stand before you and give you a good account. Repenting and making things right for us. There's a reason God told us that we would have to give an account. And we might say, as a Christian, I'm ashamed of things I've done. There's none of us that aren't, right? But, but you can right now say, I want to live for him and walk righteously before him and treat the people around me the way that I'm supposed to. All right, so God bless you guys. Love you. I am out. We've got a service in about an hour. Uh, we're going to be talking about Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And we're going to be talking about how he interacted with, with the synagogue of the freedmen and how that equates to our world today and how we ought to interact to the world around us. All right? So I think you're going to find it um, uh, encouraging. So that's in about an hour if you're here in Tucson, East Camp to 6 o'clock. That's, and then tomorrow morning we'll have uh, services at both campuses. All right? So God bless you guys. Love you. We will see you uh, later on.